As we continue in the book of Isaiah, this week we come to Isaiah 57, verses 14 through 21. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would grow faint before me, and the breath of life that I made. Because of the iniquity and his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him, I hid my face, and was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea. For it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Thank you, Bill. Good morning. I wanted to uh, share with you a story, a piece of history from the Great War that I've uh, actually I've shared before several years ago, but I wanted to remind you of the story of the last soldier, American soldier, who was killed in the Great War. His name was Henry Gunther. He was 23 years old. And he fought uh, in the war, and he was part of the American Expeditionary, uh, Expeditionary Force in France. And he was killed at 10.59 a.m., November 11th of 1918. It was one minute before the armistice, before there was peace. He was part of the 79th Infantry Division, and what happened was there was a roadblock, a German roadblock, that was in the way in chaumont devant Damvillers. And as the roadblock was in the way, Henry Gunther jumped the line to go and attack the roadblock of the Germans with his bayonet, with his gun. And the Germans knew of the armistice, and so they were waving him off. Stop! Stop! Don't keep coming. Henry kept coming, and they shot him dead on the spot one minute before there was peace. And those reporting it said, as he fell, the gunfire died away, and an appalling silence prevailed. He took up arms when he didn't need to take up arms anymore. Here's the truth. We have peace with God through his Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And yet we still live like we are at war with God. And the Lord is calling us to lay down our arms and to enjoy Christ's victory and His offer of reconciliation, of restoration, 
relationship with the living, holy God. Salvation. And he calls his people, stop waging war against me and receive my peace. And so that's what I want to pray for us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us. Forgive us for waging war against you. But that we fight against your kingdom and we fight against your way. We actually, so many times, want to set up our own kingdom where we are the king and we rule our lives. And so we wage war against you. Father, forgive us when we attack and when we fight against. And Lord, help us to receive to receive your peace, your forgiveness, your life. Help us to humble ourselves and come to you dependent and hungry because, Father, we know it's at that place that you meet us. And so, Father, help each and every one of us this morning to draw close to you, to lay down our arms, and to enter into your peace. In your beautiful and precious name, amen. Isaiah is ministering and speaking uh, forth, prophesying to the people of Israel, and they are at war with God. They are, they're fighting against his kingdom, and they're fighting against his way, and they're trying to establish their own kingdom. This is how we're going to do life. We're going to worship after all these other idols. This is how we're going to live. We're going to continue to live in our sin. And God, you better be okay with it. Thanks for sharing your truth and what you have for us. But this is how we're going to live. Our kingdom will come into place. And we keep fighting. There was a guy in the New Testament who was doing the same, fighting against God. Acts chapter 9 verse 4 says this, And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, whom you are kicking against, whom you are goading, whom you are attacking. It's me. The God of the universe takes it very personally. And sometimes when we think we're doing our own life, we forget that we are attacking and going to war with our Lord and Savior. One of the things I love about Acts chapter 9 is that it really shows how personal and how close our Lord longs to be with us. You're going against me. It's not just some religion out there. You're going against me, Jesus. Stop waging war and receive life. And we know what Paul did. He surrendered unto Jesus. And his life life was changed forever. That same offer is for each and every one of us. And every time, even in our Christian journey, where we decide to go into war against our Lord, 
the place where He changes us is when we come to Him humbly and say, Father, forgive me. I keep trying to live my own life and I go to war against you and I attack you. I keep trying to establish my own kingdom. God's desires as people that, they, that we would enter into rest, that we would enter into relationship, and that would come through a repentance and a turning to Him. God has so much in store for us, so much life. I've come to give you life, John 10.10, 10, and I've come to give it to you what? Abundantly. Abundantly. The idea is overflowing with me. That's my desire for you as a people. Part of that is that you enter into my peace. That we are at peace with the living God. That we know our souls are at rest in Him. That we have been saved. That we have said, Lord, be the Lord of my life. I'm tired of kicking against you. I'm tired of the weight of my sin. The Lord's saying, I have so much for you. We talked last week in Isaiah 56. Isaiah is prophesying about what the Lord desires for His people as they're in Babylon and about to come out of Babylon. Here's what I desire for you as a people. I desire, and, and, and the way I want to live through you, is that you would be a people who preserve justice. Because God is just. You're a people who do righteousness, do what is right. You're a people who love the outcast. And you need to remember that you're an outcast as well. I want you to be a people who enter into my Sabbath. Which is that really that place of rest in the Lord. It's that place, and we sang about it this morning, and as we prayed, Adrian, thank you for that, that we surrender that we learn to say, Lord, I trust you. I don't know how this is all going to work out, but I enter into your Sabbath rest. That you are working for my good while I rest. I want you to be a people like that. And I want you to be a people who know that all are invited to the table. My house shall be a place of prayer for all the nations. This is the people you're supposed to be. A blessing and, and those who invite others in. Because my salvation is for all. But Israel as a people kept waging war against God. We don't want to live this way. Isaiah prophesies, I see how you're going to respond to the Lord. You're going to be a people who reject these things. When He has so much for you. And He's going to deliver you. And you keep turning away from Him. And you're going to suffer the consequence. And you're going to suffer His righteous judgment. Stop turning away. Stop taking up arms. And charging at God. I just want you to think about that throughout the morning. Would you? Is there a way that I'm picking up arms? And I'm charging at God, going to war against Him? I won't surrender certain sins. I won't surrender my life. Think about ways that we are picking up our arms and going against our Lord in waging war.
He doesn't want that war. He wants us to, like the prodigal son, to all of a sudden come to his senses and realize, oh my goodness, I have a father who loves me. He wants us to open our eyes and realize the father's waiting at the end of the road. He doesn't want to wage war with us. Israel was waging war. Part of what we see at the end of 56, I wanted to bring you to this. Starting in verse 9. One of the ways that they were waging war was actually by the leaders of Israel. The spiritual leaders of Israel were waging war. They were living this way. Look at verse 9. Come, all you beasts of the field. Come and devour all you beasts of the forest. Israel's watchmen are blind. They lack knowledge. They're all mute dogs. They can't bark. What he's saying of the leaders of Israel is that they're blind. They lack knowledge. They can't bark. They can't give warning. They're lazy. They're they're dreamers. They're seeking their own gain. And basically at the end, they're saying, well, let's just get drunk and party. That's the spiritual leaders of Israel. And they are trying to establish their own kingdom and waging war against their Lord, who's called them to a whole nother life, that they would stop picking up their arms and going against him. But when you as spiritual leaders live this way, you wage war against me. You kick against me like Saul. Can you imagine parents who, first day of junior high, are dropping off little David at Hebrew Academy. And they drop him off at school, and they're so excited about all that little David's going to learn. And they pick him up that afternoon, and the parents are excited to, to hear about the first day of junior high at the Hebrew Academy and all that happened that day. And they see... They see David across the street, and he's actually, his arm is in a sling, and he's kind of bloodied up. And then they see the rabbi coming out of Hebrew Academy. And the phylactery, the, the box that would be on their forehead that would hold the Shema, the Lord our God is one God. That was totally kittywampus and on their head, and their, their black robes were totally disheveled. And in his hand, he had a bottle of whiskey. And he sees David's parents across the street. David, there's your parents. Go get them. You know what the parents noticed, though, when they pulled up that day? Is that there wasn't any of the yellow flashing lights to slow people down. And actually, there wasn't any signs anywhere about children crossing. And so the drunken rabbi sends David across the street into oncoming traffic, and he's almost hit by a Ford F-150 and taken out. But he makes it to the car. And he gets in the car, and he's all bandaged up, and like, oh my goodness, David, what happened today? Tell us what is going on. Why are you all cut up, and why is your arm in a sling? Oh, this day... We, we, we did all kinds of stuff today. We learned how to jump off the roof into the garbage dump that was filled with, with trash bags so it was soft for our landing, 
but we learned that you had to project yourself out just to make it into the middle. I didn't quite get all the way out. My arm caught the edge of the garbage dump, and I, I kind of, I'm not sure if I broke my arm, but I injured it. David, on the, the other, my other friend Jonathan, actually broke his arm. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah, and then in, in biology class, the teachers gave us these magazines that opened up long ways, and, and they said, hey, this is how you learn about human sexuality. And they gave us all these magazines. And then in our science lab today, we ended up, actually there was an explosion in the science lab because apparently there had been a gas leak in there, and someone lit the Bunsen burner, and it exploded. Lots of kids were actually hurt today. And then in the home ec class, we did wine tasting and tried all kinds of different wines, and actually I liked the Merlot. (laughs) And the parents of David are furious. David, this isn't good. This isn't right. You were almost killed. These teachers have done wrong things to you and have taught you in the wrong way. This is not what they were supposed to teach you. They have attacked our children, and when they do that, they've attacked us. And David sits in the back seat. He says, Mom and Dad, get over it. It was really cool today, what we did. And they follow the way of the teachers. It's absurd, right? But that's literally what's going on with the people of Israel. They're following the way of the teachers who do not bark. They do not give warning. They don't know of the Lord, so they have no instruction or understanding. They aren't drawing the people closer to God. They're drawing them further and further away. And so they go to war with God, the loving Father, who say, No, this is not what I have for my children. Matthew 18.6 is a good reminder. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone, heavy cement, fastened around his neck and dropped into the sea. Waging war against the Lord taking up arms against him. Thanks, God, for sharing your way. We're going to do our own. And we're going to live in foolishness, and we're going to live in our sin, and then there's consequences for that. God's righteous judgment, verse 9, is this. All you beasts of the field, come and devour. All you beasts of the forest. You see, God is going to bring his judgment upon his people, but his judgment, as we've learned all throughout Isaiah, is redemptive. Because he sees if they keep going this direction, it will lead to death. If I keep letting my children go to this Hebrew academy, they will die. I don't want that for my people. I want them to receive life. I want them to know who I am and how much I love them and how I long for relationship with them. That's what I want. Woe to the spiritual leaders. And you know what? I, I hope you know that we at this church, we take this very seriously. God holds into account those of us who lead spiritually. And we should be held to account. And if we in any way start to live like we're seeing the leaders of Israel live, then run, run, run away from this church. It's not godly. It's not good. Hold us accountable to these things. But we come humbly 
we come dependent on the Lord. We're always searching God's heart for us as a body of Christ. But we do take seriously the responsibility. I just want you to know that. And that we're always praying that we'll be good shepherds. That we really minister to you. And, and we really want to know you. And we want you to know us. To have this beautiful relationship one with another. And we pray that we're drawing closer together to the Lord and his love. Chapter 57 begins, the people are perishing in their sin. They're at war with God. Yet there's peace to be had. But they're living in their futility. And their sin is separating them further and further away from the love of the Lord, whose arms again are outstretched. Look at the beginning of 57. The righteous perish. No one ponders in his heart that they're perishing. Devout men are taken away. And no one understands that the righteous are taken away. To be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly, they enter into his peace and they find rest as they lie in their death. The righteous man perishes, no one even notices. Spiritual leaders have taken the people so far away and the people are now living, following the leaders and living in their own sin. But when the righteous die, it's like, well, whatever. Who cares? Do you remember when Princess Diana died? I'm sure you do. Because there was media coverage for weeks on the death of Princess Diana. But the reality is, two days later, after Princess Diana died, Mother Teresa died. And there was just a little blip. Oh yeah, by the way, Mother Teresa passed away today. But let's get back to Princess Diana. We just want to live in the flesh. We want to live establishing our own kingdom. The righteous are perishing. And because we're so caught up in our sin, there is no notice. There is no matter. But the reality is the righteous have incredible impact on this earth. But the people are living in their sinful direction and they're dying. You know, it's a little, it's a little bit interesting in this section about what's happening with the people. He says, they're taken away. No one understands. The righteous are taken away to be spared from the evil. And they enter into the Lord's peace. Different commentarians have said, you know, part of this may be, here's what's going to happen. The righteous judgment, verse 9, there's going to be a devouring of this evil. That those who are righteous, uh, there's, there's, there's a theology that this may be some indication of the Lord in his grace is actually sparing the righteous ones from this incredible uh, devouring that's going to come. A, a rapture of sorts. Uh, that he brings the people into his peace. And so there's just some study on that. You know, and again, as, as we study the scriptures and we try to understand you know, God's grace and what he's going to do in the end times, etc., um, there's just commentary to, that, commentary to that effect. Of maybe the Lord is sparing his people from this incredible, incredible evil and, and this incredible uh, justice that's going to come in, judgment. And he's going to bring them forth into his presence. We don't know for sure. Here's what we do know. We do know that the righteous will enter into 
his peace. The righteous will enter into his shalom. They will have their bed there. They will rest there. Those who choose to follow the Lord, not go the way of of the teachers of Hebrew Academy, but who choose to follow the Lord, they will come into the presence of the Lord right with God, forgiven, saved, eternity forever with the loving Lord. That's our place in our salvation. And so the Lord brings that. We see the people of Israel waging war in the fact that they're going after other lovers. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says this, But you, you people who are living for yourself, come here. I'm going to say something to you. You sons of a sorceress, you offspring of of adulterers and prostitutes, whom are you mocking? Who do you sneer against? Man, those are pretty hard words, aren't they? He's using terminology that's, that's built off... The Lord, all throughout, all throughout scriptures, speaks of His people that He is the bridegroom. You are the bride. And when you go after other lovers, you're committing adultery. You're prostituting yourself out to others. Selling yourselves to others. And he's saying, this is what you're doing. You're breaking, you're unfaithful to the covenant. And look at all that they're doing. There's a whole long section of how they're just going against the Lord, how they're waging war, how they're going after other lovers. Let's look at, let's look at verse 5. You burn with lust among the oaks, and under every spreading tree you sacrifice your children in the ravines and under the overhanging crags. They're entering into child sacrifice. They're entering into nature sacrifice. They're worshiping nature instead of the creator of nature. They've gotten so lost in their sin that they just go to these dark, dark places. They're basically in the wadis. They're in the in the river channels, the stream channels, down at the base. And they're literally worshiping the rocks down there in the low part of the ravine, of the wadis. And it was known throughout Scripture, it's that place that's close to Sheol, to hell. And there they sit and they worship and they offer child sacrifice and they go after other lovers rather than God. Instead of remaining in covenant relationship with Him, they go to war against Him, prostituting themselves out. Look at verse 8. It says this, Behind your doors and your doorposts, you have put your pagan symbols, forsaking me, once again, adultery, You've uncovered your bed and climbed into it and opened it wide, basically for all these other lovers to come in. Behind your doors and your doorposts. Do you remember what the Lord called His people to when He delivered them, when He brought them into the promised land? Deuteronomy 6, people. Hear my word. Bind up my instruction upon you. 
Put my commands and my truth, my Shema, the Lord God is one again. Put it on your doorposts. We are people who follow God. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Put it on the doorpost so the children know. Continue to train up the next generation about the, the God of love, the God who delivered you. Continue to do this. Have it out everywhere so people can know about me. What does it say in, in verse 8? Behind the doorpost, you had your pagan symbols. You see, we wage war with our loving God when we choose to live both. Oh yeah, we'll put up the symbols. We'll, we'll look spiritual, Christian. But here's what's going on behind the scenes, really. And we're kicking against God and we're, we're setting up our own kingdom and we're doing whatever the heck we want to do and we're living in our sin and we're prostituting ourselves out. And God's saying, but we have a covenant. Come back to me. Come back to me. And they go on and on. Look at verse 10. And this is what happens. And you were wearied by all of your ways. You're wearied by all of your ways. But you said, oh, oh no, it's hopeless. You didn't come to that place. You found renewal of strength in your own strength so that you didn't grow faint. But you're exhausted by living in this sin. Exhausted by trying to go on and on. Exhausted by wrestling with God, fighting with Him. But somehow, in your darkness, you're going to continue to say, yeah, but I'll make it through. I'm going to try everything. I'm going to try everything else to find purpose and meaning and fulfillment. Our friend Colette was here last week. And, and thank you, by the way, all of you who came and heard her story. and She was super encouraged. As she continues to minister in the Middle East, and uh, she was just really blessed by you as a body. But here's what happened with Colette. She shared her story, and she goes, You know, it's interesting. As I grew up, I grew up with all kinds of spiritual things around me. I had witch doctors coming into the home to teach me their ways. We had Jehovah Witness come in and teach us their ways, and, and left me with a Jehovah Witness Bible. I actually read a lot of it, and was trying to understand. God was always stirring something in my heart. I was trying to figure out God. I had this longing for God, but I didn't quite get it with all these different things. And then people kept bringing me different, different religions and different studies, and actually, eventually, I became a Muslim, and I went into that practice of, of becoming a Muslim. And our family was receptive to all different religions and people coming into our house and sharing with us their faith. And she goes, really interesting, but above our door was a crucifix, a Catholic crucifix. And there was this guy, Jesus, hanging on the crucifix. And I always wondered what he was all about. And ultimately, she came to this place of, I have tried all these different things, and I'm still empty. I'm still restless. I'm still wondering what's going on in my life. And finally, she actually came to America and her host mother kept bringing her to church. And one day the Lord just broke through into her heart. And she came with a contrite spirit, a humble heart, saying, Lord, rescue me. You grow weary, don't you, when you keep fighting against God? We grow weary. 
And they keep looking for other things because they're restless and they're unsatisfied and there is not peace. The end of chapter 57 says this, the wicked are like those tossing in the sea. It's never quiet. And its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. For those who choose to go against God, to go to war with God, to fight against Him, and and to reject Him. There is no peace. There is no shalom. There is no rightness with God. Because we're always stirring up. We have war in our soul. And we pick up arms. And even though the Lord's offering peace, we go and we charge. Aren't you tired of that? I know some of you in this room, and you keep fighting against God. Aren't you tired of that? He gives an answer to each and every one of us. To each and every one of us. Stop depending on your false idols, on your other levels, other lovers. Look what he says in verse 13. Here's the gift. Here is the good news. Here's the peace that is available to you. Here's God's grace. But he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. It shall be said, build up, build up. Prepare the way. Remove every obstruction from my people's way. He provides a path to relationship with Him. He's taking away every obstruction. You can't say, well, God, it's because you did this that I reject you. Oh, no, no, no. He's provided every way. And ultimately to the perfect servant, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sin. Why do you keep waging war against God? He's taken every obstacle out. We cannot in ourselves have salvation. So here's my son. And the perfect servant will suffer for our iniquities. So repent. Stop waging war. Remember who your God is. We sang this morning, every knee shall bow. We have a holy God. Verse 15. One who is high and lifted up. Who inhabits eternity. Whose name is holy. This is why He can't dwell in the presence of sin. This is why He needed to give His Son to pay the price. Because He's holy. Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I couldn't bear to be in His presence. And our pride keeps taking us away. But I don't want that. I want my own kingdom. I'll rule my own life. And God, right in the middle of our attack, He meets us right there. And look what He says. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with Him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly. Yes, I am holy and I am awesome. And I have created everything, including you. I dwell there, but I also dwell with you. Those of you who are contrite and of lowly spirit, those of you who will say, yes, you are God. Yes, I believe in you and your salvation. 
Yes, I believe in your son Jesus and his death on the cross. Contrite. It's that wonderful word that has the idea. We come, we're crushed. We're crushed because we keep attacking God. It's, oh God, forgive me. Can't do it anymore. Receive me, Father. And the Heavenly Father says, yes. I receive you. I will be your God. And you will be my child. Receive my salvation. Receive my peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we receive your peace this morning. Forgive us again for kicking against you. Thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus. For life in Him. And Father, help us. Help us to turn back to you. We love you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that you keep loving us. Even as we try to go against you, that you keep wooing us close. And I pray that for each and every one this morning in this room. Draw them close to you. And may they receive your peace. In your precious name, amen.